What a blessing uh, again, the youth choir. Pastor says, I love the youth choir. Man, I love the youth choir. I love the adult choir. I'd love an all ladies choir. I'd love anybody to sing like you all sing here and the type of songs, the kind of music you hear. Um, back at uh, Oklahoma City at Heartland Baptist Bible College, we have, it's an old, it's an old fashioned fundamental Baptist Bible College. And uh, you can even tell when you come on campus just by observing the people that there's something different about the place than what you would see out here in the secular world. And uh, for 25 years now, we've had Heartland Baptist there. And I've observed as the kind of young people that God has sent us over the years. We have a student uh, body of about 410 uh, students right now, and it's totally ministry. That's all we do. And um, I've often made the comment after listening to them preach or sing in their uh, various groups and such as that, and watch their involvement, their spirit, and their attitude. It's sort of like I'm reminded of it when I see the young people here and in a few other churches around, that there are people in our culture that don't even know that these kind of young people exist. They truly don't. And uh, I travel an awful lot, and I, I still fly more than I want to. And if you want to see um, a sample of our culture and the strangeness and the weirdness that's going on, all you got to do is go through a major airport. You'll see just about everything. And uh, to come from just where I came from yesterday, and all I did is pass through Dallas-Fort Worth and then come here. But just from what I saw yesterday, to come in here this morning is so refreshing because it's like there are people that have their feet on the ground and they don't have to dress weird, look weird, tattoo themselves from head to toe and pierce their noses and everything. I've never seen anything more gross than a pierced nose. You know, it's, it's like, please do something with that. It, it makes me hurt for one thing. And it looks like they have bad manners from a distance, you know, are not paying attention to stuff. And there are people that realize that that has nothing to do with anything. It gets you nothing. Now, I've even asked people, uh, you know, you've got those tattoos. I've, I've watched that. And if somebody here has them, I'm not bashing or anything like that. I'm just curious. And I just ask, can you tell me the benefit that that is to you? Well, I, I'm showing I'm my own man, I had a guy say. Yeah, but you, you and 80 million other people are showing that you're your own individual man. Uh, why, why would you do that, I asked to a young man. Uh, and mark yourself, have it all marked up like that. He said, trying to find something. I'm trying to find something. And like he's going to find it in that or what our culture has to offer. Of course, that's a great opportunity to talk about what's missing or who's missing in his life. And such as that, which we did. But I'm just saying, I, I really appreciate, Pastor, the youth choir, the singing, the attitude, some of the young people I've got to speak with briefly. I've really appreciated that. And so, amen. Keep it up. And our culture, more than they know, our society needs the kind of young people that come out of places like this. They, they don't even know they need that. But our culture, our society does need it. It's called the salt of the earth. That's not my message tonight, but I, I could go there right now if you want to. But the, the salt of the earth. Somebody says, yeah, but we're so far outnumbered. Yeah. Did you ever notice with salt, 
Um, I worked in a, a large cafeteria working my way through uh, Bible college. One of the things I did is uh, do the mashed potatoes. I'd peel them and, and then mash them and season them and do the whole thing. And I, I noticed that I love salt. Jesus said salt is good, so I don't really care what the doctors say. I like salt. And, and so I remember putting the salt in there, and I remember realizing that if you have 20 pounds of potatoes in that big mixer thing, you don't need 20 pounds of salt. You don't need that much at all. So it doesn't take an equal amount or a majority to have the influence and the impact that a society needs like our country. So we may feel badly outnumbered at times, but you know what we're supposed to do? Keep being the salt of the earth and keep being a light in a dark place. And I do believe that uh, that's the kind of young people that are coming out of Victory Baptist Church and in other places, not enough, but uh, not enough places in my opinion, but in a lot of places and I'm thankful to God for it. So anyway, I just felt like saying that it has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach tonight. But let's turn to the 119th Psalm, if you would please. And after you've found the 119th Psalm, please mark Matthew chapter 11, because we're going to turn there in a little while. And um, I, I hope you'll have your, your Bibles ready, and then we'll come back to the 119th Psalm. So if you just have that marked somehow, then in a while we will get to the uh, book of Matthew chapter 11 as well. But the 119th Psalm and the stanza that we are considering tonight is the next to the last stanza of the 119th Psalm. And so that would be verse 161 through 168. The title of it there is Shin. And so let's uh, stand and read verses 161 through 168. The psalmist said, princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies for all my ways are before thee. Would you go back to verse 165? We're going to consider this entire stanza, but let's go back and focus on what is right at the heart of what these uh, verses are about. Where he says in verse 165, great peace have they, no, that's, yeah, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I'd like to preach tonight on a great way to live. 
a great way to live. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful today for the time to spend here as a guest. I'm thankful as a guest of Victory Baptist Church. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege of uh, joining together in song and being ministered to in song, uh, both this morning and tonight, in a, in a wonderful way. What a, what a blessing. And we appreciate it so much. And thank you for those, uh, like I have just read through Ezra and Nehemiah, and those that you gave ability to do music and to lead in singing, oh God. It's a gift from you, and so we thank you for that. We pray now that you bless our time here in the Word. Might it be profitable and helpful? And while this is just one sermon of a number of sermons that are going to be preached uh, these days at, in the Emerald Coast Jubilee, I pray, O oh God, that uh, not that we would measure one against another, but I pray that uh, you would so work by your Holy Spirit that what is dealt with here tonight would definitely find a place in every heart in every life, and that your people might experience a great way to live according to your word. Of course, this isn't all there is to it, but it's what uh, our attention is called to in this particular passage. So we pray for the unction and the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to make this a meaningful time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you. you may be seated. I served as president of Heartland Baptist Bible College from 1999 to the year of uh, 2018. And I think it was that year, 2018, that um, there was something going on in the campus. You know, you get that many young people together, no matter how I brag on them and such as that, there can be some drama and some issues that come up along the way. and <clears throat> and. Um, it's not always the boys that cause the trouble. I just want to throw that in there tonight. Uh, but anyway, uh, there was a little drama going on. And so I was going to be in town and our executive vice president, who's really oversees the day-to-day -day operation and so forth and the, the matters, he said, uh, Preacher, you're going to be here. I, I think what the students need to hear from you, besides just at church, I think they need to hear you preach to them. And so um, I, I, I think it would be good if you uh, preach the chapel. We have a chapel open. Uh, we worked it out, so we did. So what I was going to do is deal with some of the hypersensitivity of people. And we live in a hypersensitive society, don't we? It doesn't take much to offend people in today's time, in today's culture, it doesn't take much at all. Thin skin prevails all through our society, and I'm afraid it's found its way in the church door as well, and so that many preachers are tippy-toeing around all the time to make sure that nobody can be offended. And that's exactly how the Bible ought not to be preached, with the awareness that someone might be offended. So anyway, I decided, yeah, I'm going to do that. And so I, I actually went to this particular psalm. And in order to introduce the psalm, here's what I did. It was a chapel service. And so in our auditorium there, we have a, a really a pretty large uh, platform that goes across. So I decided that I'm going to demonstrate and illustrate uh, what we're going to teach about, talk about here, about being offended. 
So I had a young man and I put a long rod in his hand. I, I don't remember where I got it or what it was or anything, but it was a long, like a rake handle or, or something like that, or a rod of some kind. And I had him back here where the choir loft uh, uh, petition here has a division where you can go up the middle uh, aisle there. And so I had him hide over here. So before anybody ever came in the auditorium, he was already up there laying down uh, flat on his belly and had the stick in his hand. So I already told him that uh, during the, at the beginning of the sermon, I'm going to start at this end and I'm going to gradually walk across to the other side. And all I'm trying to do is get some kind of a picture of I am walking through life. Okay, so from this end to that end is, um, is, you know, represents my life. And so I'm just walking through life and I want to walk with the Lord and I want to do the right thing. And I'm serious about my uh, discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus. And so I'm walking alone and I'm just walking along and I'm progressing and I'm, you know, and my life is going fast now because I'm moving across here. And when I got right here, unknown to the students, the young man stuck the the rod out and I, I tripped over it and I, I did it on purpose, but I wanted to make it look real. Well, not being as young as I used to be, it became real. And, um, and I mean, I went down, I, I went down, <laughs> I went down hard. It's a concrete under the carpet too. It's gone, man, it hurt. I mean, it hurt my left knee. I think I still got a dent in the cap of my left knee because of it. And uh, I went down and what I did, I, I mean, the, you could hear the collective gasp of the students, you know, and I mean, they were just stunned. And there were people concerned. I had a, one of the teachers start to get up and come up and help me, you know. And so, anyway, this didn't quite go like I planned, but it was very effective. And so I, I did go down. And uh, I got up then, and of course, I acted on the outside like, hey, it doesn't bother me. And on the inside, I'm saying, I want my mama. I mean, I'm hurting. This is <laughs> humiliating, and <laughs> it's very painful, and such as that. And so then I got up, and now I've got a decision to make. If this is the way my life is going to be, if this is the way my fellowship of Jesus is going to be, if I'm going to have this type of an experience and go down while I am sincerely trying to walk with him, now I'm going to sit back and think, do I really want to continue to do this? Because I'm trying to do the right thing and I went smack down. And I'm trying to do the right thing and I fell and it hurt. There was some pain involved. And, and I would have said that whether I'd have had the clumsiness or not. I would have said that because falling hurts. And so now I have to decide, am I going to go on or not? And so what we have in this walk and our journey through life, we are assured in the word of God that we're going to experience the trap stick or the trip stick. That, that's what that was. You can call it either one. They're both accurate. A trap stick or a trip stick. And I went down. We're going to experience a stumbling block or stumbling blocks along the way. Or, or an occasion to fall. Or an obstacle. Or obstacles and snares that are going to come. This is going to be a normal part of living this life even though you're trying to follow Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. 
In the Bible, the word is offend or offense. That's what the word is. And what I did by all of those definitions or all those words there, trap stick, stumbling block, occasion to fall, obstacle, snare, all I did is give a definition of what the word, uh, what the word offend or offense means. And I'd invite anybody to study that out and do your own research on the word. So that when you read about an offense or the use of the term offend or offense in the Bible, it has to do with this very thing, a trap stick or a trip stick, an occasion to fall, stumbling block, obstacle, a snare, and you can add to it a little more. But that's what it is. Now, the reason we would talk about this is because Jesus taught very clearly to his disciples about offenses. Jesus did as he was discipling his disciples. And I'm not going to take the time to go into the context. It wouldn't change uh, what it means here if I did. But I'm not going to go into the context of these two uh, verses. And there is a context to be considered, but it wouldn't affect how in any way how we're going to use this tonight. But Jesus said to his disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses come. That's what Jesus said, Luke 17, 1. It is impossible, but that offenses come. Now, it's important to know who he's talking to there and what he's doing. What he's doing is talking to his disciples. What he is doing is telling them, here's what it's going to be like to be my disciple. He is simply teaching them things they need to know as they are on this walk with him and for him. That's going to continue when he is crucified and rises again and ascends back to the Father in heaven. That walk's got to keep going. And he is saying to them, it is impossible, but that offenses come. To think otherwise is to be totally out of touch with reality because it is impossible, but that offenses come. Then in Matthew chapter 18, seven, he put it to them this way. He said, it is, uh, he, he said, it must needs be that uh, offenses come. Now think about how he said that. He said, it's impossible, but that they come in Luke 17. Now in Matthew and chapter 18, he says, uh, he says, it is impossible, but that offenses come and Furthermore, he said, it is needful or it is necessary. It must needs be that they come. Must needs be means there must be a reason. There has to be a reason if it must be and it must be so. Now, <clears throat> let's stop and think about that for just a, just a little bit. Because uh, we know that we live in a fallen world <laughs> And people look at the culture and the, the times today and they say, uh, well, boy, these are tough days to trying to be raising kids. And uh, I've met some of the children and some of the young people uh, here in this church, not only today, but uh, previously. And I've talked to some of them. And I happen to be of the persuasion there are some families that are serious about raising their kids for the Lord and raising their kids to serve the Lord. And so, and, and some of them are like some of our families back home, large families. I mean, nowadays, if you got over three kids, what are you doing having all those kids, you know? That's, that's the way people think, let alone when you have six or seven or like the family back home had 17, 
And people say, what in the world are you thinking about? This is no time to try to raise kids. These are, well, I just want to say that from the Garden of Eden to this present day, there has never been a time in this world that the world made it convenient to raise godly children. Not in a fallen world, there has never been a time. And so in this life, in a fallen world, then the most logical thing you can think of is there are going to be obstacles in this matter of following Jesus and living for the Lord and being his disciples. There are going to be obstacles that come to our way. Or another way to put it is there are going to be offenses. There are going to be snares, stumbling blocks. There are going to be occasions to fall. Well, uh, if you're a Bible reader, all you got to do is just start going in your mind through the word of God. And, and when you do that, why don't you make a list of those who began to follow God and exercise faith in him and live a life of faith. Those who began to follow Jesus Christ, make a list of those who did so without any obstacles, without any problems, without any adversity. Make you a list of them. It won't take you long. In fact, your paper will be real clean by the time you've thought it over and traced them all through. That nobody that we look up to known as the people of faith. I mean, immediately when we talk about that, our minds go to Hebrews chapter 11 and the big list there of those that exercise faith in God and exercise faith in following the Lord. And then we go to the New Testament and we read about the apostle Paul and the apostles and what they went through in the book of Acts filled with the Holy Ghost and the beatings they took and the opposition they took. And my goodness, you, you can read the Bible at a first grade level. And come to the conclusion, this seems to happen to everybody that has faith in God. This seems to everybody that decides to happen to everybody that decides to follow Jesus. It looks like they're going to have a life <laughs> experiencing adversity, experiencing obstacles, experiencing this and experiencing that. And the answer to that, well, of course that's the case. That is exactly what Jesus said would happen. List the heroes of the faith. Those people didn't get listed in Hebrews chapter 11 because God never let them suffer or never let them have occasion to fall and kept everything out of their way. They didn't make it into that chapter because of that. They made it into the chapter that in spite of the obstacles, they exercised faith in God. And while they may have stumbled and they may have tripped and they may have got down, they got up and went on with their life for God. See. So it's going to happen. So what am I saying tonight? Well, I'm preaching about a great way to live. Well, thank you, Brother Sam. We come to church on Sunday night. The title of the sermon is A Great Way to Live. And what do you tell us? Well, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. There are going to be snares. There are going to be occasions to fall. There are going to be trap sticks that come in your way. And they can come in all manner of form. You can go all over the place and you'll find people that used to be in church and used to serve the Lord, but somebody offended them. Somebody said, your little boy threw the rock. <laughs> My boy said he did not throw the rock. Yes, but we got 17 witnesses that said he threw the rock. So you say my boy's lying? We have 17 witnesses that says he threw the rock. 
And then the parent says what I heard one time, my child never lies. And when I got up from dying laughing and rolling on the floor, I said, well, let's talk about this, you know, the possibility. So, yeah. So it could be all kinds of things. It could be the failure of somebody else's life that you looked up to. I don't know how many people that I've met along the way. Yeah, I used to be in church. Yeah, I used to serve the Lord. Yeah, I used to do what many of you are trying to do in following Jesus. But our pastor went bad. He had a moral failure. Or there was dishonesty in money. Or the deacon ran off with another deacon's wife. Or they start naming all of this stuff that I was following the Lord till that came up. Like you expect it wouldn't. Like you thought you would somehow be free from ever experiencing that kind of disappointment, that kind of pain, uh, that kind of hurt, uh, that kind of letdown. Where did you ever read in the Bible that if you just follow Jesus, those things will never touch your life or experience you and you'll never have to have such pain or hurt or have occasion to fall. You didn't get that from reading the Bible. You got that from a fanciful mind. So what we're basically saying is, if in fact we are going to live this life and we're going to walk with the Lord and we're going to take this journey, that there are going to be occasions and times in our life where there will be an offense or a trip stick that we did not expect, a fall that we did not allow for. Uh, an experience of hurt and pain that we would never ask for or never even think that we would possibly experience. And it can go to health issues, to life and death. It can just cover a plethora of all the experiences that we can have in our life that can turn the wrong way and create pain and hurt in our life. So yeah, you go to church and what do you hear? You're going to have trouble following the Lord. You're going to have pain and disappointment following the Lord. There's somebody maybe sitting here tonight thinking, you know, I think I'm going to go home and listen to Joel Osteen. I don't like what that guy was saying there at Victory Baptist. But let's see um, from the word of God how this is supposed to be dealt with. How, how, what did Jesus give us that could help us with this? So save your place in Psalm 119 and go to Matthew 11, and I think a man that would be highly regarded among most people in this room, if not absolutely everyone in this room, would be a man by the name of John the Baptist. Now, I know he's highly regarded in my own thinking, I highly regard John the Baptist. John the Baptist was full of the Holy Ghost from birth. He's a part of the larger, I usually don't term it this way, but usually a part of the larger Christmas story is the birth, the incredible birth of John the Baptist at the, uh, 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 to parents who were well beyond childbearing age and how all that came about. And so John the Baptist came, was born, and it was prophesied of him, and accurately so, that he was going to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament and be the one that would come in the spirit of Elijah and he would prepare the way of the Lord. 
And so many of you remember uh, very clearly in your own Bible reading and preaching and such as that, John the Baptist, uh, when he first makes a public appearance, he is standing out near the Jordan River and he is preaching in that wilderness. He's a man of the outdoors. He doesn't fit with the clergy. He was not a stereotypical preacher in any way, shape or form. And he's out there with this weird diet and weird uh, living conditions and weird attire of a working man, and here's John the Baptist out there, and all of a sudden people start hearing uh, as they pass by on a path or a road that they'd traveled before and never noticed anything like this. And all of a sudden they start hearing in the not so far distance they could hear, prepare the way of the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is John the Baptist out there preaching. Now you would have done what those people did. And not being in the hurry that we are in these days, you would have turned to see, well, what's that about? I've been on this road times before. I've never heard that. And they go over there and John the Baptist is over there preaching. And it's not just a crazy man out there yelling. He, uh, the Holy Ghost is in this. And so people that turned aside were immediately affected by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit of God. That was the benefit of him being a spirit-filled man. That when he spoke, the Spirit of God bear witness to what he was saying. And so the people that came by heard him saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent from what? Repent from their sin. And he told them how to repent from their sin. Uh, read that in the Gospel of Luke in chapter number four. He told them how that they are to repent from their sin, whether it's the common people or whether it's the tax collectors that came out or whether it's the soldiers that came out or whether it's the chief priests or some of the Pharisees that came out. He told them wherein they needed to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. People started falling under conviction and repenting. And he baptized them that repented. Next thing you know, that number is swelling. And those that have heard and have repented and have been baptized by John the Baptist are telling others. And many others are coming. And next thing you know, you got big multitudes that are coming to hear John the Baptist preach. John the Baptist, it is said, watch this. John the Baptist said uh, that he laid the ax at the root of the tree. Now as a preacher, I just, I like the sound of that. I've never wanted to preach and just Wail away, but never hit anything. Okay, I'll try this side over here. They didn't like that. So I've never wanted to be the kind of preacher you just swing away and you don't really care if you hit anything. Let's just get this over with and go home. I can't stand that idea. No, and, and true preachers cannot. Your pastor can't stand that idea. So what do you mean lay the axe at the root of the tree? Well, you put it where it's going to do what it's supposed to do. And sometimes it cuts and sometimes it severs and sometimes it hurts. <laughs> and, and he laid, so he told it right. John the Baptist, he was out there laying the ax at the root of the tree. John the Baptist was also speaking of Jesus. And, and he spoke of Jesus and said, uh, there's one coming after me that is preferred before me. And when he comes, I'm not worthy to loosen the latch out of his shoes and, and the one that is coming after me, well, I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And so John the Baptist is calling attention to Jesus. And, and one day as he's baptizing, he says, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And there is Jesus. 
And Jesus said to John, baptize me. And John said, I have need to be baptized of thee. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus said, suffer it now to be so, to fulfill uh, righteousness. Do, this is the will of God. Do you baptize me? And he did. Then Jesus, after he was baptized, uh, was led of the Spirit and into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted of the devil. And then John the Baptist kept preaching. And then after 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus began to preach and began to call unto himself disciples. And somewhere in the process there, something happened in uh, Galilee and in the regions round about Galilee. You see, Galilee was governed by Herod Antipas. And he was the governor of three provinces there, Galilee and Perea, and another one that escapes my mind right now. And then his brother, Philip, well, he was the governor for Rome over other parts of that northern Galilee area. Right. Uh, and it was Triconitus and another one that I should know, but it's, it escapes me right now. You can look it up yourself. And so these two brothers are governors for Rome over Jewish territory, Jewish people. They're called to Rome to give an account. I'm, I'm just guessing there might be evidence of this somewhere. I haven't found it, but I'm just guessing that it could be that God called to Rome because of the unrest that's going on in Israel. I mean, by the time John the Baptist has baptized and multitudes of people are coming and now Jesus is doing the same. It, it could be that Rome is calling them uh, to account and giving them instruction on what's supposed to happen uh, how they're supposed to deal with this so that there's not an insurrection of the Jews. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. A kingdom, they didn't know anything about a kingdom of heaven, but they know a kingdom requires a king. Is there about to be a revolt against Rome? Is there an insurrection that is taking place here? Is that what the Jews are up to? So Herod and Philip, his brother, and their wives took a trip to Rome. On that trip, Herod Antipas seduced his brother Philip's wife. And when they got back to their locales of labor, then Herod Antipas divorced his wife and married his brother Philip's wife. And it made quite a splash in the news media of the day, like it does all the time. Whether it's people here or the royal family or such as that, uh, some weird stuff can happen in royal family, and our news is flooded with it. Like we really care and don't ha don't have our own issues, which we do. So anyway, yeah. Well, you can imagine how that went, and people saying, "Well, now if they loved each other, then they had the right to their adults, and they can make the decisions they want." And so there would have been those in society, sort of like we've had past leaders and presidents who have been uh, committed infidelity, but been justified. Like, what does a man's moral life have to do with his ability to govern? We actually heard that. Some of us that can remember that far back, we actually heard that. What does a man's moral life have to do with, uh, with his ability to govern? Well, the, the basic idea is that if a man's going to lie to his wife, there's a good chance he might lie to me. Which he did, and he did. And he lied to you too. And so there were those that would defend 
Well, John the Baptist got wind of this and he heard no doubt people skirting the issue or people maybe uh, accommodating the, uh, co to avoid controversy and such as that. John the Baptist, no, he's not the kind that can look at a situation and say, oh, let somebody else worry about it. No, 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 no. So John the Baptist had audience with Herod Antipas and he said, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother Philip's wife. And that's all we have of what he said. But I've got a feeling that he might have said something like this. And if you disagree with this, we can still be friends. But I, I just think that he's probably saying, it doesn't matter what Rome says about this immorality. It doesn't matter what backslidden Jews believe about this immorality. It doesn't matter what people that are only interested in commerce and the economy think about this situation. It is not right before God, and it is not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. And he laid her out there. The ax was laid at the root of the tree. So Herod, uh, prompted by his new wife, who wasn't too thrilled with that sermon, had John put in prison. When we come to Matthew chapter 11, John is in prison. Can I have your attention just a second? John had been on the center stage of what God was doing in the world. See, the greatest thing that was going on in the world wasn't what was coming out of Rome. Is everybody with me here? No, they thought in those high places in Rome, the, the most powerful nation in the world. Uh, sure, uh, they thought the, the significant things of this world are taking place in the halls of government in Rome. Huh. No, the most significant thing that was taking place on planet Earth from God's economy was the announcement of the coming of his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, whom John baptized and who himself began to call people to repentance and saying the same thing, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, John the Baptist had been preparing the way of the Lord, introducing Jesus. Can I have your attention? He was right on center stage of what God was doing. The most significant things going on in the entire globe had to do with what John was doing. And he goes from that to a crummy, miserable Roman cell imprisoned, isolated. Jesus is yonder over north of Jerusalem, up to Galilee and back, and he's preaching. People are getting uh, healed and saved, and, and he is doing mighty miracles. Multitudes are coming, and John the Baptist still in prison. And so he sent two of his disciples that would have had contact with him. And he said, you go ask him. I think I preached this text once here, but that's a long time ago. The most obvious form of self-flattery is for a preacher to think somebody remembers what he preached <laughs> at some time. But John the Baptist sends his disciples, two of them, and you go ask him. Look in verse number three. And he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? John the Baptist had his men 
go to Jesus and say, did I get this wrong? Art thou he that should come? Did I miss it? Or did we look for another? Pastor, I submit, nobody has ever read John chapter 1 where John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the, no, taketh away the sin of the world. Nobody ever read that and after reading it said, You know, I detect some uncertainty in John there. <laughs> like he may not be sure this is actually the Messiah. Nobody would ever think that because he didn't doubt it until the trap stick, the obstacle, the snare took him off of center stage and put him in a prison cell. And no word of his release. No word of how long. Not a word. And so looking at his circumstances, this man filled with the Holy Ghost from birth sends men to actually ask Jesus, this is incredible, and said, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? I'm going to tell you, can I have your attention? John was hurting. For him to ask that, I'll preach less on it if you'll just say, yes, uh-huh, amen. John was hurting. I mean, this man was in pain to have his disciples go ask Jesus, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? He tripped. He's down. He fell. I, I don't think that's a good thing to say about John the Baptist. I, uh, I don't like saying it. But it's there. In the ways of Jesus, Jesus didn't say, what? John? No, he's the last man that would do that. That isn't what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you look in the word there, Jesus said, well, now you go show John in verse number four. You go show John those things which you do hear and see. You go tell him. Now watch this. Are you in verse five? This is a kind of a quote from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, where he says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. In other words, are you listening to this? Every prophecy that was made of the coming of John the Baptist and preparing the way of the Lord and then the works of the Messiah when he came, all of those things are fulfilled in Jesus. Because it was prophesied that when the Messiah comes, he's going to do all of these things. The blind are going to see and receive their sight. And the lame are going to walk, etc., etc. All of these things were prophesied. And Jesus said, you go tell John in answer to his question, everything that is prophesied upon the Messiah up to this point is being fulfilled in me. So there's the answer to the question. He didn't rail on John. He didn't uh, say, you go tell John I'm sorely disappointed in his lack of faith. But he did say this. Look in verse 6. You go tell John this. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Can I have your attention? John the Baptist had to, it had to be in his thinking. Pastor, it had to be in his thinking. How am I supposed to know blessedness, peace, happiness, joy? How am 
I supposed to know that in this prison cell? I've been out there preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I prepared the way of the Lord. I made the rough path smooth. I made it possible to come and introduce him and baptize him. And oh yeah, and now here I am. John, John the Baptist, he, he, he could have responded like that. And Jesus says, you go tell him that blessedness is not to be found in circumstances you consider favorable. Blessedness is found when you will not be offended in me or because of your devotion to me or because of following me. Is everybody listening to this? That's where blessedness is found. Not in your favorable circumstances, but when you cannot be offended by your circumstances and you don't stop serving, following, being devoted to me. That's where you're going to find blessedness. That's what he's telling him. That's what he's saying to him. And how do I know who I'm talking to tonight? I don't. Because I'm not minimizing the pains and the hurts. I mean, I've got a few scars in my back. Having been stabbed in the back. Not literally for children that might be here. But betrayal. Right. I, I just felt like Brother Sam, you just, I don't think you probably know what it is to feel betrayed. <laughs> well, maybe I do. Right. Whether I do or not, Jesus certainly knew. Yeah. Right. Yes, he did. Right. And, yeah, but you don't know the pain that I've had. Well, at the risk of sounding unloving and uncaring, the scripture plainly says that there's no temptation or test or trial like this that's taken you, but such as is common to man. You're not the first one to hurt over what you're hurting over, to have the pain. I'm not minimizing the pain. I'm not saying, ah, grow up, stand up, be a man. Although there's a place for that, I suppose, but that's not where we are here. Sure. But the real issue is not, was there an offense in your life? The real issue is, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond to it? The real issue is not, have I been betrayed or has somebody ever hurt my feelings or I've been lied to or do I have anybody that hates me without a cause? That's how our psalm starts, that there were those that were coming after the psalmist without a cause right. and they wanted his destruction and there was no just reason for it. Right. And there may be times you've suffered and there's no just reason for it. And, and I know a little bit about what it is to be attacked and lied about and all of that kind of thing. But the real issue is not, have I ever experienced this? Oh, you, let me tell you my story. Oh, it was the lowest valley I'd ever been in. Oh, oh good night, nay, sakes alive. Uh, anybody that tries to follow and serve the Lord is going to go through this. Now, I'm, I'm just thinking about the Apostle Paul, myself, over in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11. And he said, here's what I went through. And he talks about shipwreck and he talks about a night and a day in the deep. And he talks about not having food, not having clothing, beaten with rods. How many times? 
Well, one's too many for me, but he beaten time three times. He was beaten with rods, imprisoned. Oh, come on, all of this big list of things happened. So <laughs> that they happened is one thing, and how he dealt with them is what really matters. Because you know what he did when he got out of prison? He went on serving the Lord and preaching the gospel. When they stoned him unto death outside of the city of whatever that city was. Come on, you know what it is. Thank you, you theologians that just sat there and won't help me. But anyway, when he, when he gets stoned and taken outside of that city, what does he do when he gets up? Well, he goes away and comes down, comes back down the road, starts preaching to him again. Was that a real obstacle? Of course it was. Could he be offended in that? Of course he could have been. But he refused to be offended. Because his, it has to be the thinking and what the thinking is supposed to be. That whether I experience this pain or this opposition or whether I fell has nothing to do with the fact I still got a journey to take. I still got a space to go. I still got to follow Jesus. And he said, son, you know when you're going to know blessedness? Not when you're free of opposition, not when you're free of offenses, but when you will not be stopped by those offenses for my sake. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. How long have you pastored here at this church? 30? Coming on 30 years? That's wonderful. I'll go back to Stillwater in a few weeks, Oklahoma, where I pastored for 16 years before going to Oklahoma City. And the young pastor there that came to work with me when he was 18 years old has gotten his education later and then went back, has pastored the church for 25 years. And uh, I get to go and preach on his 25th anniversary. It's a wonderful, wonderful church. You'd love Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater. Yep, that's a blessing. 25 years of just smooth sailing. <laughs> I got to pastor there 16 years. It was a wonderful experience. I got to pastor Southwest Baptist Church uh, for 20 years. I stepped aside and retired from pastoring and turned it over to the pastor that we'd mentored for seven years. And, and um, so anyway, 20 years I got to pastor there. My wife and I look back and we reflect all the time. And when we're reflecting on the blessings, honestly, I say to her, man, did we ever have smooth sailing? And she'll laugh a little bit, and then I'll laugh a little bit, because in the midst of all of that, sure, there was pain. There was sorrow, and there was grief, and there was betrayal, and there was uh, some divisive spirits, there was immorality that had to be dealt with, uh, by biblical church discipline, uh, very, very unpleasant things to have to discipline somebody that you love and care very much about and has loved you and care much about. Painful, hurtful things. What? What? Like we shouldn't, we should think that would never happen where we are? If a David made a mess of things as he did, do you think it's possible for preachers to fail? Right. Nobody's justified by it. David wasn't justified by it. I'm just saying, why do we think 
that we would be free from that. If, if John wrote and he said, now there's a diatrophies in the church and he has no care for the welfare of the flock and expose this diatrophies in third John. Go read that sometime. What, we think there'll never be a diatrophies where we are? We've Paul got the elders of Ephesus aside and they're weeping because they know they're not going to see him anymore. And he said, no, man, I don't want to see all those tears. So that's not a word for word quote. But why are you weeping over me? And then he tells them, you know, out of your own selves, they're going to be ravenous wolves that would destroy the flock. That's what Paul told them. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement. He's only facing reality. Everywhere that Jesus taught, everywhere the good seed is planted, the adversary overplants with evil. We should not be surprised. So how does a person get to where they can have this great way to live and never be offended? If you experience all of these things, how is it that you go on? How is it that you don't stop and lick your wounds for five years and never serve the Lord like you did before? Why is it that somebody made a big mistake and therefore you don't trust anybody anymore? How do you get past that? You don't unless you act upon the word of God. And right here in our passage, look at it. I'll do this fast. Right here in our passage, it is laid out for us very, very clear. And it all has to do with our relationship to God through his word. I said, those of us that are believers, those of us that know Jesus, it is whether or not we are going to take God seriously at his word. And here it is. Look in verse number 101. Princes have persecuted me without a cause. What an obstacle that could be. But my heart standeth in awe of thy word. Ladies and gentlemen, put yourself in a position to stand in awe of the word of God. God is awesome himself. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. But how do we know about God? And how do we know of his nature? By what is revealed to us in his word. And when we make it our business to be people of the Bible and people in the word, you'll get to the place where you are in awe of the word of God. But if the word of God is a side item in your Christian life, if there are things you read and are interested in far more than you are the word of God, you will probably never stand in awe of his word. That's the first thing he mentions. Look on, I told you I'd do it quickly. Verse 162 I, here's my, John's attitude towards the word was this. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I spent a lot of time in study when nobody else was at the church when I was pastoring. Now I pastor at home and I almost have to wait till my wife is gone to really express myself like I would like to in my office at home. But there are times in study and preparation that I see things. I mean, I'm, 
I got saved when I was, I'm 78 years old. I got saved when I was six. I've been trying to preach now for almost 58 years, trying to be a preacher. And I've tried to know the Bible. I've still got so much to learn. Oh, my soul. This is the book of the infinite wisdom of the infinite God. We'll never exhaust it. But there are times that God shows me something or that I see and study that I just can't help it. And I kind of act like a person that just found great spoil. And somebody said, I, I don't even know what that means. Sure you do. Some of you watch these goofy, goofy game shows. If I ever see one on my television, I'll sell the television and get it out of there. If I don't break it first. That's the biggest bunch of goofiness I ever saw in my life. And where people, they win the jackpot or it falls their way. And they just go ballistic and go crazy. And others do it with them. And they jump and they carry on. And they just go on. Now, if you saw a preacher in his office, like you could find me once in a while, that discovered something in the Word of God, and I can't sit still anymore, and I can't keep my mouth shut. i got to shout hallelujah, and I've been known to run from, we moved into a retirement home now, much smaller than the old house, and so I run from the office through the living area, dining area, living area, through our bedroom, up my wife's uh, closet. It's supposed to be ours, but it's only hers, but anyway, that's another subject, and come running back and make that circle three or four times. What are you doing? I'm praising the Lord. I'm full. I can't sit there any longer. I've actually pulled the car over and shattered it out a while because I couldn't see to drive through tears, through tears of joy. Somebody says, what are you talking about? That's crazy. Wasn't it something if somebody wins 5,000 bucks and they go crazy? Well, look at them. That's really neat. Isn't that cool? They just want all that money. Huh? And you think I'm a nut? When I see the great treasures in the Word of God, the eternal Word of God, if, if you want to know how to live this life where you're not offended, then the Word of God has to become that to you. That when you understand it and when God speaks to you through it and when you are seeing this is what God said and why he said it and this is connected to that. And oh my soul, we have, a, we have an eternal truth here that's revealed in the word of God. It's marvelous and it is wonderful. Don't sing that it's all marvelous and wonderful. You don't think it is. And the psalmist said, you want to know why or how you cannot be offended in him? The word of God needs to be as precious to you as one that finds great spoil. Here's the third thing. Look down at verse 163. I hate a boring line. Watch this. But thy law do I love. <laughs> great peace, verse 165. Have they which love thy law. End of 167. And I love them exceedingly. God's word, his testimonies. Love the word of God. Stand in awe of the word. Indeed. Treat it like you've found something greater than treasure. Because you have. And fall in love with it. Love it. Love it. I've told the story and I, if anybody remembered, I'm sorry for being repetitious. But in 1991, I made a major decision about my Bible reading. And right now, at this present time, I'll read through the Bible five, closer to six times in a year. I'm not, I'm not tooting my horn about that. I'm just saying. I'm not pastoring. I'm not doing so many of the things I used to do, and I have time. I've read, I've read it at least four times a year since 1991. 
And I'm going to tell you the truth. In the early days of that exercise, I had to discipline myself. I had to make myself get up and do it. Long hours, short nights, and get up and do it. And sometimes I wondered about this commitment I'd made to read the Bible an hour a day. I may have even thought back in those first five years or so, I wonder if there's a way that God would, you know, just kind of let me revise that <laughs> a little bit, you know, let me off the hook a little. But I made a promise to the Lord at an altar. Then after about five years, I just found it's what I look forward to. It's my favorite time of day. And now I'll fight for it. Because that's, that's where I want to be. I used to say to Southwest Baptist, I love this book. Somebody said, that is weird. I don't care what you think about it. I love this Bible. Love the Word of God. It's, it's right here. This isn't unrelated to what we're talking about. It's a great part of what we're talking about. It's how you get to where he's talking about. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. The way to live, a great way to live is to where nothing offends you. And if you don't love the word of God, it's not going to happen. If this isn't more important to you than earthly treasure, it's not going to happen. If you're not in awe of the word of God, then you're probably going to be offended when you're offended or when the offense comes and pout and blame somebody else and point fingers. Let me just tell you something. If you have a right relationship to the word of God, then you can get to the place where nothing offends you. Somebody said, that's impossible. It's not only possible, it's where we're supposed to be. awe of his word. Count it as a treasure greater than somebody that finds material treasure. Love his word. Look at it down in verse number 166. Lord, I have hope for thy salvation. Watch this. And done thy commandments. Now you know how the 119th Psalm is. All the words that have to do with the word of God. The word Commandments, testimonies, precepts, law, commandments. And he not only, excuse me, he not only knew them. What, what did he say? I've done thy commandments. L look at this. Verse 168. I have kept thy precepts. How in the world could a man get to the place where he's not offended? Well, listen. If you excuse yourself from being obedient to the revealed word of God, you're probably not going to keep from being offended. But when you love the word and you treasure it more than earthly treasure, and when the word of God is that dear and precious to you, uh, my friend, and you love it, and then you not only love it, but you act upon it. So that when the word of God speaks to you, you respond you don't have to wait for Sunday to have an invitation and get something right with God. I mean, I've got all kinds of stories where I've done my Bible reading and I keep an ottoman close by and I get down and use it as my altar. 
It may not happen every single day. It may not happen every single week, but inevitably I'm reading the Bible and I'm just saying, you hypocrite, uh, God, uh, God just convicted me and I would expect people at church to get on their face and humble themselves before God. If that was being preached and they were convicted about it and I'm sitting there and I'm saying, I'm not gonna sit here. I'm gonna do what I think all people ought to do. I don't have to wait for a sermon or church. I'm gonna humble myself before God and get right, right now. Once it was about my wife. Your wife. Yeah, my wife. What about her? Well, I retired from pastoring. We'd been apart a lot. And now we're together in chunks of time like I'd never known. Which was wonderful for a while. And then almost everything she did, I, and bite my tongue and sometimes not. I'm reading my Bible. I'm in Ephesians 5. And the Holy Ghost just put a spotlight on verse 25. I was hoping it would be verse 26. Wives, obey your husbands. Submit yourself to them. That's what I was hoping the spotlight would be on. Oh, no. It was love your wives and not just say, well, I do love her, but do what love is. If you'd have said to me, you don't love Sandy, I'd have said, I beg your pardon. I absolutely do love this woman. But what good does that do if my behavior is not in line with what love is and what he requires? Yeah. Yeah. The other time I had to do with neighbors. I was going to teach them a lesson and settle the score on a thing or two. I'm reading my Bible and God's word told me in the book of Proverbs 22. I can't quote it right now. I didn't refresh it, but it showed me. Uh, don't take this into your hands. It's God that takes vengeance. He settles the score. And I had to get on my knees and say, God, I am so distraught with the neighbors. I can't even come home from a trip and sleep uh, till two in the morning because their music is beating and their dogs are barking. And if you're a big dog lover, uh, wonderful. But if you don't have any regard for your neighbors, I don't have any regard for you. I just don't understand that. And I mean, dogs are barking and the music are playing and beating. And I ask them kindly, politely, nicely. Actually, I did. Some of you are looking at me like, I bet you did. No, I did, honestly. <laughs> I, I, I was under control and, and talked to them and reasoned with them, even got them to agree and nothing changed. So I thought, fine, I'm going to have to settle this myself. And the very day that I would have spent some money to try to uh, uh, begin in the process. Don't ask me any more questions about this, but, <laughs> but anyway, I'm reading that and it said right there in Proverbs, don't do that. That's not right. You leave it to me. Leave it to God. So I did. What happened? Nothing for a while. I just said, God, I'm leaving it with you. And eventually this one moved and another one, their kids moved out. And that calmed down the music and others, uh, I don't know, um, whether their dogs died or not, I even thought about that. 
watching some of those crime things they solve, and oftentimes they slip poison in. I thought, oh yeah, that would work on a dog. That's not right. I knew it wasn't right. You get it right. When God speaks to your heart, it doesn't matter what it's, it is. It doesn't matter if it's not doing something or if it's something you should do and you're unwilling to do. When the Word of God speaks to you and prompts you, don't thumb your nose at God. Don't act like you didn't hear Him. Don't act like that's for other people to deal with, not me. No. Act upon it. That's what He said. I have kept thy testimonies. I have kept thy precepts. I've done thy commandments. I have acted upon the word. When it all boils down, and you've been offended, and there's bitterness even towards whoever that's responsible for you being offended. If you take this seriously, you'll understand that your response is a bigger problem to you than what they did to offend you. A negative response, a refusal, a refusal to respond without it interfering with your devotion and service to Jesus Christ. If you are held back in your spiritual life and your spiritual walk and your service to the Lord because something or someone offended you, it says more about where you are than the nature of the offense. This isn't a fancy little outline formula. It's right here in the Bible for anybody to read. Great peace. What kind of peace can a person have that cannot be offended? Great peace. He didn't say peace. He said great peace. I've studied this stuff out. If peace is this big, great peace is this big. Great peace have they which love thy law. And nothing shall offend them. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're trying to go on through your life and you know you're not near where you should be in this journey ever since that offense happened, you have just testified where you are in relation to this book. I would say you have a more serious problem than the person that offended you. Or at least as serious. Great peace. Brother Sam, yeah. I don't mean to offend you, but well, just go ahead and speak. You can't offend me. You don't want to say that unless you mean it. But that's where we're supposed to live. That is unattainable. It's not only attainable. It's where we're supposed to be. Father, I pray you'd work in hearts and lives today. Certainly, I'm not able to come in here and say that I know there are people that this and this and this and that. I'm not able to say that at all. But it would be certainly understandable that out of this size assembly, 
there are some that they've never stopped going to church. But it doesn't take a deeply spiritual person to know that you can go to church and still be far from where you're supposed to be in your walk with God. I could go to Southwest Baptist Church and show people that got hurt years ago. They're still there. But they're ministering to no one, encouraging no one, exhorting no one, admonishing no one. Because they will not move on from their offense. And if that's the case in any life here tonight, no matter what the circumstance might be that has put them on pause in their progress, in their journey, in their walk. Oh God, may they take a serious look at these verses. To grow to love your word. Be in actual awe of it. Act upon it. Obey it. Treasure it. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would work. It's a crucial time. It's so needful that we have as many people in place following you without offense. There's so much to do to reach the unsaved and the unchurched. That'd be wonderful when a pastor is able to give attention to those that are lost and those that are without rather than always tending to offenses that should never be there to begin with. So have your way in this invitation time. Do with it what is right in your sight. And while we've not preached about being saved, if there's somebody here that knows, it doesn't take a sermon, to, another sermon just about salvation for me to know I need Jesus in my life. If there's somebody here that needs to be saved, what a great night to call upon Christ for the forgiveness of sin. So bless this invitation for your own glory and your own sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Pastor, if you'd take the invitation.